0: presence in this place. I thank you God for your anointing, for your glory. It's not for our glory, it's for you, Father. We lift up your name. We magnify your name. You know Satan is, is, is is making the waves bigger and bigger if you remember the story of Peter walking praying about this earlier uh, the story of Peter walking up the water as he gets out and he goes to follow Jesus, Jesus calls him on the water and he's walking and he keeps his eyes on Jesus, on the Messiah King, and as long as his eyes are kept on him, he doesn't sink, but as soon as he sees the waves around him and he sees all the turmoil he sees the cresting of the waves and the crashing of them, he begins to sink because he's seen all that I believe that Satan is raising the the waves up and he's making them crash and he's making them turn and and more and more violent with all the things that are going on this year because he's trying his best to get our eyes off of the Messiah but the more you stay in his presence the more you stay in our Lord's presence you can walk on the water as long as your eyes are kept and fixed on the Messiah, Jesus. You can walk on the waves and they won't topple you over. You can walk across and it never touch you. As soon as you start to focus on the things that Satan is throwing up around us as this disease, this pandemic, tropical storm, this every other thing that's trying to happen right now, all the rioting, all the all the other troubles that are going on around us. There's something God has in store because Satan is trying his best to take your eyes off of the king because he doesn't want what's supposed to come to pass to come to pass. So I encourage you to stay in the presence of God and keep your eyes focused on him and you can walk on top of the water and he won't faze you. God, I want to be in your presence I want to stay in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this hole i'm sorry when i just gone through the motions i'm sorry when i just sang another song take me back Else we'll
1: do. Oh Come on, church, wherever you are, I want to invite you to just lift up your hands this morning to Jesus. And I love what we're singing this morning because I feel like God, all through this season of these last few months, that He's been trying to simplify our lives. You know, the longer that I serve Jesus, the longer that I walk with God, the longer that I am In this thing called Christianity and a part of the kingdom of heaven, I realize that the simpler it should become, that the longer I walk with Jesus, the simpler it should become because it's all about Jesus, amen, amen, come on, let's just lift up our hands, then Father, we thank you. For your presence in this place. And for those of you watching online, we, we were saying this all through the time, and we'll continue to say it this morning, that there's no distance in the spirit, that what God is doing here in the sanctuary, he's doing there in your homes, in your living room. Even if you're watching this on replay, the same spirit that is here now, he's with you. So begin to lift up your hands. Lord, we pray this morning that you would invade this place, that you would invade our space, that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, Lord, that you would be with us in this moment. Father, we thank you that our response in these perilous times is the faithful affirming of your word, that you have forewarned us of all these things that are taking place in the earth. Lord, you already knew it, and you said take comfort in these words. I have already told you these things would happen, but do not fear, do not be troubled because I have already overcome the world and so Jesus we look at you this morning and we thank you Father God that you are taking our eyes off of every distraction and you're putting our eyes back on you today because Lord all along it should have been you because it is you and so this morning Lord we fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith we look at you today oh God Because it is all about you Now Jesus we thank you Come on begin to worship him Begin to thank him We thank you Lord That you have already gone before us That you are the high priest in the order of Melchizedek That you have offered sacrifices unto God On our behalf In fact Lord you yourself Are the sacrifice on our behalf And we receive it now In Jesus name And we thank you Lord For all that you've done for us Come on, church, I want you to meditate on that as we're we're about to transition from worship to the Word. I want you to meditate that it is all about Jesus and nothing else. I want to encourage some people that in this season during the coronavirus pandemic and this upheaval in our nation, the injustices and the racism and the rioting and the protest and the hatred that is being unveiled as pastor gave the vision as that tidal wave is coming and it is pulling back and it's revealing everything that was already there. We're not surprised by what we see. We're going to look at Jesus because the Lord has already told us these things would come. But in this season... I bind fear in your life. I bind anxiety in your life. I bind financial depression and oppression in your life in Jesus' name. And I declare that your God is king. I declare that Jesus is Lord. I declare that everything you need is found in Jesus. And and nothing has changed. The world around us changes. Our situations and circumstances change. But Jesus doesn't change. And that's our hope today. That's our hope today. He doesn't change. His promise of healing doesn't change if we get a bad report from the doctor. His promise of provision, it does not change if our finances take a hit in an economic downturn. The Lord is your God. Jesus is the faithful one who has called you. Come on. So, Lord, we worship you for that. We worship you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We worship you that you have called us from before the foundations of the earth, that you predestined us to adoption, to be called holy and blameless in love. And you are our God, and we are your people, and we have a place in your kingdom. So Jesus, we declare today, it's you, and there is no one else, and there's nothing else. Father, this morning we pray for our nation. We declare, Lord, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Prince of peace is coming in to intervene. We declare peace in our cities. We declare, Lord, that your presence will overtake our cities. We thank you, Lord, even this storm, that you are binding it in the name of Jesus, the one that speaks to the wind and to the Mm -hmm. rains. You can calm the storm. Lord, we thank you for all these things. By your stripes we're healed. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. We declare healing in the body of Christ. We declare healing in the physical bodies of those that are sick right now. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that we come to you in all things. When it's good, when it's not so good, we come to you all the same because you do not change. Come on, church. I don't know about you, but this morning I feel faith rising in my heart. I've been reading in the book of Hebrews, and and, and it just speaks of Jesus being our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, that he's gone before us. And this is what i love about the lord that he is the high priest but he's also the sacrifice that he was the mediator between god and man in the sense that he's the priest that he stands on our behalf before god but as i was praying this morning i began to just cry out thank you for true intercession which means the priest became the lamb the one that was making intercession actually became Intercession when he shed his blood. That's powerful. That the Lord was making intercession, but Jesus became intercession when he shed his blood on the cross. And now as he stands at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says that he constantly makes intercession for us. And that's because he literally embodies intercession. And he is the one that shed his blood. So I don't know what you're dealing with this morning, what you're going through, what you may need, but let me tell you something. Jesus is faithful. And Jesus is here, amen Amen. Amen. We want to welcome you We miss you I know it's been a crazy season The last two Sundays we had a packed house And God is moving mightily Don't let this interrupt what he's doing God is still going to move in your home, wherever you're watching this. And we pray and we believe by next Sunday morning we'll be back together. There's not going to be a tropical storm. We're not going to have no hindrances. But I don't want you to stop the momentum. Because let me tell you something. The devil can't stop the kingdom of God. The devil can't stop the move of God. In fact, you should rejoice. Because what's happening in the natural is indicative of the glory that's coming. The devil knows that something is coming, and he's trying all he can. Come on. Just like Pharaoh sensed in his heart that he was about to lose his grip on the Israelites, he began to make them make bricks without straw. He turned up the heat because the deliverer, Moses, was almost there, and he is a type of Christ. I'm telling you that something is about to break in this earth. Something is about to happen. The devil has already played his hand. He's already, he doesn't have a poker face because he's afraid of the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you this morning, what you're seeing happening in the earth is indicative of what's coming. So you better get ready. Brace yourself for what's coming in Jesus' name. So Lord, we thank you for what's coming. We continue to say yes and amen to the move of God. And we thank you for what you're about to do in this place through your word. You know, we want to remind you this morning that if you have tithes and offerings to give unto the Lord, even if you're not here in person, you can mail it into the church. You can give online, text to give on the website. We want to continue to fund the kingdom of God. This is what I learned over 15 years ago, that God doesn't need my money. He wants my heart. Come on. He doesn't need my money, but he needs my heart. He wants my heart. And we live in a materialistic society, and he wants purity in our heart, in the area of finances. And the only way to be pure is to give, to give it away so that you're not gripped by it, but you can give. And so if you want to give it to the Lord, there's various ways to do that. We want to thank you for your faithfulness in this season, and we just want to ask you to continue to be faithful to the Lord. Woo! glad I'm not preaching today because I already lost my breath. So I just want to give you a minute to grab your Bibles, grab your family, surround your television, wherever you're watching, and get ready for the word. I know Pastor has a word from the Lord. I was praying for him this morning, and I felt the anointing in my prayer closet that's coming upon him today because of the word that God's put in his heart. So just do this one thing as you're ready. Say, Lord, my heart is open. My heart is good soil, fertile soil. Your word is the seed. Now, Holy Spirit, plant that seed in this good soil. And I declare that the word of God is going to take deep root in my heart, and it's going to produce much fruit in my life. In Jesus' name. Well, I hope you're ready for the word. Be blessed.
2: Praise the Lord see you. Good to be seen, somebody said. That's the wish. (laughs) Amen. Well, I do want to take a moment, you know, and just uh, pray that everybody take necessary precautions to be safe from the storm that's coming this way. I'm talking about the the physical storm, the the one out in the Gulf, obviously. And uh, our nation's already in the middle of a storm. Of a different kind but uh, just take precautions and also just to let you know that you know we've been up front with everybody letting people know that but we've had a few members of our church family who have tested positive uh, for the uh, COVID virus in the last this past week and so many of them are just asymptomatic as, as you've, you've heard these words over and over again they had no they had no symptoms or whatever but they were near somebody or their job required them to get tested and that's how they found out or whatever so let's just continue to pray you know to continue to pray how many believe that god's word is true he said by his stripes we are healed the bible also says he sent his word and he healed them and his word is not only this written word but his word is Jesus he is the word of God that was made flesh and so we know that uh, God is in control in fact that was the message that I all week long you know with everything that's been going on in, in our country today and and everything that seemed to be happening and we started getting phone calls about the first part of the week and with some people getting sick and you know, I, all week long, I kept saying, Lord, give me, give, give me a word, give me a word, give me a word. And I kept thinking, God is in control. God is in control. I remember back in 1972, I think it was, when David Wilkerson had a vision. He wrote a book called The Vision, and he first shared it uh, with his church. And you could actually hear that message that he shared. Based on that, go to YouTube, you can just touch, type in David Wilkerson, the vision, you can hear it. And at the end of that, he says, God, I, all these things that you've shown me that I've told these people are coming. And listen, if you listen to the things that he said were coming compared to what's going on today, it's nothing. I'm telling you, I remember the first time I heard it. I thought it would be the end of the world, and and these horrible things that he said that he saw, and they've all come to pass. And we've gone so far beyond that. I mean, it's it's unreal. But he had a message at the end, and he said, "God, I need a message for your people after sharing all this." And um, he said it came down to those four words: "God is in control." <laughs> And uh, so that was on my heart all week long. And then uh, Friday morning, uh, in the early morning hours, maybe it was Saturday morning, you know, in the middle of the night, let's put it that way, um, the Holy Spirit kind of just woke me up and reminded me of a dream that I had had several years before. And and in the dream, um, I was watching, and it was like a void was being created. I don't know how to explain that. You might think of like a black hole kind of thing, but a void was being created by the exit of the fear of the Lord, and one was giving. And in its place, anytime a vacuum is made, anything, anytime something is removed, something is going to take its place. And I saw the spirit of Antichrist come, and and I was woke. I, I was woke up with that thought on my mind. And so, I want to talk about the fear of the Lord this morning. I want to read, first of all, from Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And I want to talk to you this morning about the fear of the Lord. Now, um, I, I keep copies of everything. I mean, especially when computers are invented. I mean, I have tens of thousands of documents of, that I've written and I've preached and r- articles that I, I categorize and things like that. And, and, and I, I said, Lord, where am I going to go with this? And I don't want to read this to you and, and see if this applies to the day in which we're living right now, okay? The past few weeks have caused many Americans to fear that our society is facing a total breakdown. We are seeing things transpire in real time and we wonder if it can get any worse. There appears to be a spirit of anarchy that has been loosed upon our nation and people from every walk of life are reacting in different ways to the events that we are seeing broadcast on news media and pages of social media. Does that sound like today? I wrote those words for a message I preached almost five years ago. And they're just as current today and even more so In Psalms 111 and and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. How many of you think this is the day we need the wisdom of God for our lives? Somebody texted me a couple days ago and said, Pastor, is there anything I can pray for you about? And, you know, my first response was, no, I'm okay, we're safe, we're good, you know. But then I sat there drinking my coffee, and I said, wisdom. I really want the wisdom of God for this day and age. Because, see, it's not about living just my life. As, a, as an under-shepherd, that's what the Bible says a pastor is, an under-shepherd to the true shepherd. I said, I need wisdom for the flock, for the congregation, for the people that, God, you've put in my care that that I have to oversee, that I am one day going to stand before the throne and give an account. I said, I need wisdom. So I told that person, I said, wisdom, and they texted right back. They said, I'm on it. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Jesus, okay? And, um, and so I said, I, this is kind of a confirmation to me about this message, about the the fear of the Lord. In the Bible, over 300 times you find the reference or the phrase, the fear of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the word had a threefold range of meanings. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It meant three different things. It could be used as meaning to dread. I grew up in a household of that. Okay back in back in those days uh uh <coughs> the fear of my my father's wrath you know that's that's what i grew up i dreaded it okay Um, and, and, and you'd have to know the whole thing behind it, but I'm not going to go into that. But my dad was in the military during the cold war. And so he would be gone 14 days at a time. And so all week long, I'm the oldest of seven kids, you know, and, and, uh, uh, so I'm always getting in trouble, it seemed like. And my mom would always say, when your father gets home, he's going to hear about this. When your father gets home, 14 days, I would hear, when your father gets home, when your father gets home. And listen, by, by day 12, 13, and 14, the dread began to build, okay? But that the fear of the Lord can mean to dread the fear of the Lord. It can also mean to stand in awe. I'm awed by the presence of God. But it can also mean to respect and to revere, okay? With that understanding, the fear of the Lord is virtually non-existent in our culture today, all right? And I'm going to say a statement that may offend some people, but it's, it's barely existent in our churches in America today, okay? Okay? What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not a dread or terror towards God himself. Even though the Bible does say that when we stand before God, we will give an account for every thought, word, and deed, action, everything. We're going to give an account for all of those things. That enough should be enough to sober us up. okay? But the fear of the Lord is a respect for God that causes a person to live morally right before him, not because of what he can do to us, but because of a desire to please him. Does that make sense? Out of a desire to please God, that we live right, we live morally. He is the creator, we are the creation, And yet we have seemed to swap that around, that we are what is important, and God is here to serve us, okay? Proverbs 16 and 6 says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 8 and 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Evil The fear of the Lord, the wisdom of God, the understanding of who God is, his character, his nature, everything about Him, means we should hate evil. It is the respect of who God is that brings a change in a person 's life and when I say respect i don 't mean like uh, respect, salute, you know that kind of thing, whatever um, I get I, let me tell you a little short story real quick. Um, Growing up all my life at Christmas time, we had thousands of Christmas lights that my mom always wanted put on our house. Um, I mean, I mean, and when we lived up in the northeast during the winter time and there was snow on the ground, we had things snowmen, families out in the yard i mean i mean these were all homemade things but they i'm not talking about the little twinkly lights i'm talking about these were big lights and they were um they didn't blink they didn't do any of those things and thousands of them we had 55 gallon barrels full of lights and and most many times my father would be overseas and uh, in military service and so being the oldest when i became old enough it was my job to put up the christmas lights and i remember one year in California they're putting up the lights I put them all up on the house and in all the bushes and this and that and, cuz my mom wanted it done okay and not so I wanted to please my mom but then I got to the end and I'm thinking where's the power source going to come from there were no plugs outside I'm thinking duh I put all these thousands of lights up and I have no idea how I'm going to plug it in well out in the middle of the yard there was a a a, a, um, a post a lamp post and it had shrubbery around it. And then I thought, well, they make those little things. You screw in a light bulb there, and you can plug it in, you know. And I thought, that's how I'm going to do it. So I ran that cord back up behind the post, so nobody would see it. And it was about dark. It was almost dark. And, and so I was screwing in that little adapter in the light socket. Can you see this now? You're picturing this, right? And my oldest sister, who's about three years older, younger than me, or four years younger than me, somewhere around there. Anyway, <laughs> she sees that I've got all the lights hooked up, and I'm taking the cord, I'm about to plug it in, but I'm still screwing in that adapter. And I'm instead of, get, instead of damaging the, the shrubs and getting a ladder, I'm just trying to lean over and get to it. And so my arm... The, the lamp post that has the glass where the lamp goes, the light goes, was metal. And my arm is attached to the metal, and I'm screwing in this adapter. And my sister comes out and says, oh, let's see. And she flips the light switch on. Can I tell you we made Contact. I mean that that juice grabbed me and because I was holding that adapter and and the base was metal and my arm is attached to a metal pole and I couldn't let go because if you've ever had 110 electricity grab you it it you don't get away from it it just grabs a hold of you like sucks you in you know and I'm out in the yard and I'm screaming <laughs> My mom hears the screaming. She comes out and and she, she yells at me. I said, "What'd you do? I just flipped on the light switch." She shuts off the light switch and I fall on the ground. And she, my mom thinks I've been electrocuted and I've died, you know. And I think I've electrocuted and died. And 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 the neighbors are all running out in the yard, like, "Is he okay? Is he okay?" And, like, ah, ah, ah. and then I looked at my sister. I said, "You better run. I'm gonna kill you." You know. I mean, Merry Christmas. And, and, and what I learned from that, and the reason I tell you that story, is that in that moment, I gained a healthy respect for electricity. Okay? In other words, I now understand, I mean, I knew what electricity was. I had taken shopping class and stuff in the school, and, but, but now I had a healthy respect for what electricity is and what it can do in a way that I had never known before and didn't want to know again. I mean, come on now, right? I mean, I mean, if, if you get up in the morning and go, I want to stick my hand in some electrical socket, you need counseling, you know, I really, I mean. Um, the thing is, I'm not fearful when I go flip on a light switch Because it wasn't the flipping on of the light switch it was electricity in and of itself so I gained a healthy respect for the character of electricity and and that could go on for example in regards to driving to firearms and 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 all kinds of things that are out there okay in other words we we need to understand that that I'm not fearful of a light switch when I turn it on but I understand that the moment I revert to a careless attitude with the characteristics of electricity, it might be my last moment. Okay, does does that make sense? The absence of this virtue towards God, the fear of the Lord is seen in our present culture, It's seen in our present lifestyles, It's seen in our present beliefs. And in this absence of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of Antichrist moves in, okay? So what is the spirit of Antichrist? Well, the very name reveals what it is. It is a force that stands against or in direct opposition to Jesus Christ. The word anti in the Greek can mean against or in place of. It, it, when we think anti, we think against something. But a lot of times it can mean in replacing something. It's an anti-Christ spirit. And First and, uh, and John 4 and 3, look what he, John writes in his later letters in the latter part of his life. He writes to believers, he says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus Christ is not of God it is this is the spirit of antichrist in other words any any spirit any attitude any prejudice any any mindset that is against god and who he says he is and everything about him he says this is the root this is the spirit of antichrist which he says you have heard is coming but is even now already in the world now John is saying, you've heard about a person called the Antichrist. You've heard that he's coming. You've been preached to him. You've been taught about it. You should expect his arrival. But he says, basically, he's saying, my friends, wake up, because the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. Okay? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I speak of the Antichrist, let me just quickly say that the Bible says there's coming a day in the future and that future is getting closer and closer. Where on the world stage is going to come a man who will, the Bible refers to as the Antichrist? The Bible tells us that he is literally the son of Satan, who is bent on two things: one, capturing the worship of the people of the earth; and two, destroying the Jewish race. Okay, and and Second Thessalonians two and four, the Bible describes him as one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is worshiped he is going to be a literal person but while that person has not yet taken the stage and listen there's all kinds of people always trying to figure out who the antichrist is and and people who are into numbers and, you know, every letter has a number and they add up the numbers. And look, there's a video going around. And I'm just going to tell you now because I've had like 19 people send it to me and it's a bunch of hogwash. And they, they, they figured out that COVID-19 is, the, is 666. And, uh, and they take the numbers and, and show, because it's, you know, uh, you're going to have to have a vaccine uh, for an ID. And if you add up the numbers, it makes 666. And, and, and they've got, and it's very convincing if you don't understand the scriptures. But it's not true. Because the Bible clearly says, those who have understanding, let them know that 666 is the number of a man's name. And COVID-19 is not a man. It's a literal person who is coming. But what we need to understand is while that person is not yet on the scene, you have to understand that the Antichrist is not going to just suddenly appear and overwhelm the human race. Uh, um, I remember when the, books, uh, the series of books came out. Um, what was... Somebody help me out. What left behind series, you know, or if you've seen the movie left behind things like that, you know, um, the rapture takes place. And then this world leader comes on the scene like overnight world dictator. Everybody's got to take a mark, all that kind of stuff. It's not biblical. It's taking little bits and pieces and making novels or making a movie or whatever it makes great for novels and movie, but a novel is not a real thing. It's based off of maybe some facts but the bible is very serious so i'm i'm just telling you that that this person who is called antichrist will not come on the scene overnight and take over the world but the spirit of antichrist is mysteriously the Bible says, already at work, and he's setting up a kingdom in the hearts of people on the earth. So when this man of lawlessness comes on the scene, this Antichrist, people are ready to accept him. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, the spirit of Antichrist is going out and working through people and establishing them and conditioning them to accept whoever this person is going to be when they come on the scene. Look Again, look at 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back... Will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. let me just take a look at two words first of all let me let me address that last part. He is taken out of the way. many preachers untruthfully i, I believe i mean i don 't think they 're doing it on purpose but not quite understanding. they say that when When the rapture of the church takes place and the church is taken, that the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of the world and that that is the he who is taken out of the way. But that cannot be so because the Bible says during the tribulation period, when the wrath of God is poured out on earth, there will be millions of people who will be saved. And it was Jesus who said, no one comes to the Father, but the Spirit of God draws him. So if the Spirit of God is taken out of, the, out of the earth, how can anyone come to Christ? Who is the he who is taken out of the way? I personally believe it is the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? You say, well, I thought we were a bride, but we are called his body. He is the head. We are the body. And when we, the church is taken out, look at it, think about it this way. The church is, is the standard should be right now a righteous, holy, spirit-filled church should be the standard that is calling out into the darkness and against unrighteousness. Imagine if the church and the, pray, the praying saints on earth are here now praying. Imagine what's going to happen when the church is taken out and hearts have been conditioned for the man of lawlessness. How many of you believe that prayer, God answers prayer? How many times have you seen people pray and a situation that looked impossible get turned around? And that which people mean for evil, God turns around for good. Imagine everyone that's praying, everyone that's taking a stand, everyone who's living for God and, and their voice be heard. They're removed from the earth. It'd be like opening the floodgates on the Mississippi. And evil would just flood into the world. But I want to look at this verse real quick. I want to show you something here. Look what it says. The secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Let's look at the word secret. What is the purpose of secret? Here, here's the thing we need to understand. The word secret here means a hidden or secret thing that's not obvious to the, to the understanding. How many of you have ever learned something that was so simple and it was there all the time and all of a sudden somebody shows you something or you read something or it dawns on you for the first time and it's almost like a head slap? And you're thinking, how could I have not seen that before? Well, what does the scripture say? That those who are outside of Christ who have not been born again, they are blinded to the truth. Okay, so something is not necessarily secret in that only a select few know, but it's those it's secret to those who have no understanding behind it. The Bible says we are not ignorant concerning the schemes of the devil because we have the word of God so we can understand what's going on. And so what he's saying is in this verse is it means it's a secret purpose for the forming or uh, uh, bringing lawlessness into the world. What is the purpose? That when he appears, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, he will be publicly revealed to a world that is already prepared for him because their hearts have already been conditioned. So the secret of lawlessness is that there's a spirit at work in the world preparing hearts to receive this anti-Christ, this this person who is against God and against all that God stands for, who desires worship from people and and the destruction of God's people, the Jews. We are seeing a growing anti-Christ sentiment and conduct in cultures throughout the world. And it's flowing like a stream right now, but there's gonna come a day when it's gonna be like the ocean has come out. I mean, just been unleashed on the earth. Listen, I said this at the beginning. The Lord showed me a dream several years ago where I saw a void of the absence of the fear of the Lord leaving, and in its place, the spirit of Antichrist was filling it. And what we need to understand is that the void of the fear of the Lord gives place to that which is of the Antichrist, okay? from Listen, from corruption in the highest levels of government and business and mistreatment and persecution of races, ethnicities, and religion to the things that we're seeing in the streets of our cities today, and please do not... Go out of here and, and say that I, I, I understand what I'm saying. There is a spirit of lawlessness that is working, and it doesn't work in one stream. It works in multiple streams because things that would offend you may not offend me. Things that would offend me may not offend you. The enemy looks for a place that is unsurrendered to the things of God, and then he tries to come in and bring a standard raised up in my life, raised up in your life. That's why we are to submit ourselves to God every single day. And he wants us to adopt attitudes and mindsets that are anti-Christ. And listen, this is not the workings of one group of people. It is a spirit of anti-Christ. How do we know that? Go back again. Thessalonians, what did it say? It said the secret power of lawlessness. The word lawlessness means iniquity. It means disobedience. It means sin. It means illeg- illegality. It means violation of law or wickedness. That's what it means, the, the secret power of lawlessness. We are seeing an unleashing of the spirit of Antichrist in the world today and it has become a ruling spirit in our nation as well as other nations, why? Because leaders have continued to blatantly oppose God, oppose what this country was founded upon and publicly in their speeches, in their rulings, in their political alignments and when leadership moves to that direction, in the realm of the Antichrist position, all of a sudden, you know what leaders do? They lead. And people who are following them move with them. And so it's it's no wonder that the spirit of Antichrist looks for leaders so that it can sway the sheep. Here's the problem. The church is supposed to be the standard for the proclamation of God's word. The church is supposed to do that. But the church in America, for the most part, has not been a voice calling a nation back to God. Instead, it has adopted an anti-Christ attitude and what I mean by that is, they're more concerned with status prosperity. I'm more interested in making a name for themselves than declaring the name of Jesus Christ. The American church has been more interested in building kingdoms to themselves than calling people back to the king whose kingdom will reign forevermore. In, in July 3rd, 1953 I mean that's, that was a long time ago because that's two years before I was born. <laughs> And I'm, I'm, I'm a lot older than a lot of you folks. Billy Graham wrote an article for the Pentecostal Evangel magazine. And in it were nine distinct problems that were preventing revival in the church in America. 1953. How many of you could say that's a long time ago? More than 50 years ago, Billy Graham writes an article. Nine things preventing revival in America. And listen, in the 50s and the 60s was the heyday of Billy Graham crusades. And yet he's writing an article that he sees a problem and in in revival being prevented and breaking loose in America. And here's one thing that he said to me out of the nine, this is the one thing that he said that made so, was so important. He said... That one issue was the accepted belief that we can be Christians and go on and live any kind of life we want to. He saw that as a hindrance. In other words, he said, rather than believe the truth of God's word, they've chosen to believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10 says, Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, He talks about those who who voided the possibility of what God wanted to do in their life and the blessings of God coming in their life and all of these things simply because he said the spirit of Antichrist is anti-truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the Antichrist is not the way, not the truth, and not the life. Okay? Okay? So he's saying here, he's he's talking about people who because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. In other words, that truth would have changed their lives. It would have turned them 180 degrees around and they would have come into the knowledge of Christ and received the blessings of God and all of those things. The spirit of Antichrist moves in when God's truth is no longer loved, no longer appreciated, and no longer appropriated. The Antichrist spirit now pervades in our schools, and our courts, our streets, our businesses, our homes. The lack of the fear of the Lord is now even in the church, and it has resulted in the spirit of lawlessness that is growing bolder and putting our society little, literally on the brink of a raging hell. Now, you're probably thinking, well, Pastor, I, I didn't get up to come hear all this negative stuff. Well, I want to tell you there's hope. I said there's hope. See, here's the problem. The message of grace preached today is preached without the message of the law. The law condemns me because my sins have condemned me because I stand facing a holy God. If I don't understand that, then the message of grace loses its, its value. It loses its appeal. Otherwise, if all I hear is Jesus loves me so much, he died on the cross so I can go to heaven, and all you got to do is pray this little prayer and you can go to heaven too. That's a, that's a nice thing, but it's, only, it's not a true message because the true message is without Christ, we stand condemned. But the grace of God and the love of God is that he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The law becomes the backstop of why I could never, having gone to Christ, turn and go back that way because what's holding, what's back there is condemnation and eternal damnation. Okay? Here, Here's the problem. There is hope. Because God's word promises us that the fear of the Lord is going to be restored to the latter day church. And I, I told the folks a couple a uh, week and a half or so ago on Pentecost Sunday. When was that? Last Sunday? Two Sunday? I don't remember what was that? Last Sunday? When was Pentecost Sunday? Last Sunday? Yeah. That night over at First Assembly in that celebration service, they had me get up and share about two visions that God had given me. And, I, and, and Peter, on the day, he quoted the, the, the prophet Joel and said, this is that which was promised by, spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your young men shall see visions and your old men dream dreams. I said, well, I had two visions in the last four weeks, so I'm still young. So when I talk about the latter day church, it's the church that I expect that I am a part of already and that I will see this come to pass because God says he's going to pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord is going to be restored to the church, the fear of God, and that gives him glory In fact. The, the message of the Latter-day Church is fear the Lord and give him glory. You want scripture for that? I'll give you two. Revelation chapter 4. Look what it says. Wait a minute. Where would I go? Did I skip something? <laughs> All right. Anyway, Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7. Look what it says. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the eternal gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. He said, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Revelation 15, three and four. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God almighty. Just and true are your ways, O king of saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. Those are the messages being preached in the, in the book of Revelation in the latter, latter, latter days. Fear the Lord and give him glory. See, God is talking here about a special kind of fear and it's, it's not the fear of his wrath or the fear of his judgment or the fear of his anger. But look at Hosea 3, 5. It says, and they will come to fear the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. What I want you to understand is that that word fear means awe. They will come to an an awe of God. When was the last time you were awed by God? When was the last time you were awed by something God did? When was the last time you were just awed by the fact that he loves you so much? When was the last time you were just... You know, to me, all is like you just stop dead in your tracks. It just hits you like a, a ton of bricks. And you're like,
3: oh, God.
2: That's what the word fear means there. They will come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The word goodness means good things, okay? But here's the problem with the current message in the church, especially in America today. I found a writing some years ago by a a Puritan uh, writer in the days of the Puritans, okay? If you don't remember that, go back and look in history. They're the ones, you know, Puritans and pilgrims, they're the ones that came looking for a new land in which they would be able to worship God without tyranny telling them they couldn't do it. And and Jeremiah Burroughs is his name, and here's what he said, here's, let me go back. Here's what he says. He says, we are almost afraid to preach the goodness of God because so many have vile hearts and abuse the message. That is why the preaching of the goodness of God has damned so many souls. Yet God so, so loves his church, he will not withhold the message from them even at the risk of damning the souls who are hardened by it. Now, that may sound hard to understand. Here's here's the bottom line. Here's what he's saying. In other words, the goodness of the Lord is a dangerous truth if our hearts are not right with God. Because many only hear of the goodness of God. You don't hear about the holiness of God. You don't hear about the awesomeness of God. We don't hear about the judgments of God. We don't hear about the righteousness of God. We don't hear about any of that. All we hear is the goodness. God loves you. He loves you. He, he wants to bless you. He, all of those things. And if your heart isn't right, then what he said, then what happens is we relax. And when we relax, then we make excuse for our sin. Okay? A.W. Tozer, a great man of God and writer, he said, the greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages to not be afraid of him. To fear and not be afraid, that is the paradox of faith. He said, it's, we must fear the Lord, but we must not be afraid of the Lord. It's like walk, walk, walking a tightrope. He says, it's the very paradox, it's, it's the it seems it's the puzzle of how you put that together. And it almost seems like it's a contradiction to say we have to fear, but no, we have to be rejoicing about his goodness. So how is God going to change the mindset of the church in the latter days to be one of reverent fear for him, and at the same t- time, rejoice in his goodness, okay? I'm going to give you four things real quick, because I'm watching the time. The Latter-day Church will witness the promised final shaking of all things. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, 27. I've read this so many times in the last number of weeks, but it's it's still there. It's still the now word as far as I'm concerned because it says now. Say now. Now is not tomorrow. Now is not yesterday. Now is now. Now he has promised. Once more, in other words, he's done it before. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things. So that which cannot be shaken may remain. But I want you to look at this one part of the latter part of verse 26. And it says, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Okay? I don't know what comes to mind when you think about that. You know, there's places in the Bible you read and the stars are falling and the moon turns to blood and all that. And I think that's what most people think about, but I see it differently here. How many of you would say the earth is definitely going through a shaking right now? God is shaking. And Brother Elliot, you said it this morning. He said that the enemy is coming on like a flood because he sees people rising up and taking a stand for God. Well, I've said it before. Who's he gonna come after? He's not gonna worry about the ones on the backside who are holding down the fort in the back. He's going for those on the front line. I'm telling you. He says, but I will also shake the heavens. I believe that refers to the spiritual heavens, because if the shaking on the earth is taking now, then there has to be a shaking in the heavens. And what does the Bible remind us? That our battle is not against flesh and blood here on earth, but our battle is against wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6 and 12. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, that's princes, that's governments, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Say heavenly places. Heavenly places. He says, What? He said, I will shake once again not only the earth, but also the heavens. Can I tell you that when God starts shaking things down here, He started shaking things up in the kingdom of darkness? And what we're talking about are regimented powers of darkness. But God has promised. Say, God has promised say god has promised i'm telling you god has promised to shake everything so if you think things are being shook down here imagine what he's doing in the realm of darkness right now i mean i don't know how he's doing it i don't know what manner he's doing it but i know it's going to come to a point in the book of revelation at one point it says and satan who is jesus says is the prince of the power of the air is literally going to be cast down to earth. So the shaking has already started and it's going to it's going to climax at a point when Satan is going to lose his place and his heavenly throne in that second realm of heaven wherever that is, the atmosphere of the earth. He's going to be cast down to the earth because the angels declare, "Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth for Satan has been cast down to it." <sighs> My friends, we're on the cusp of something phenomenal that God is up to. And and I've said it for weeks, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by the news reports. Don't get distracted by what people are saying. Don't get distracted by off-the-wall teachings and, and things like that. When God begins to move among his people, the house of God is going to become the representation on earth of the war shaking in the heavenlies. I wrote that last night. Elliot, you could not have known that, my brother. That was was a confirmation to me that this message was right. See, when he begins the shaking, the church becomes the arm, the representation on earth. Jesus said, go in my name and declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when people figure that out and they realize they have authority to do that and they begin to do it, the kingdom of darkness goes on full alert. And they're not barricading themselves behind the doors. They're rolling out the artillery, if I can put it that way. God, I'm telling you, God is going to start walking into church meetings with such powerful conviction. People will turn pale and their hearts fail for the fear of the Lord. I've been in meetings. And all of a sudden, everyone there, nobody says anything. You know, when preachers say, I I feel God in the house, sometimes I think they say that to convince themselves. Because I can tell you this, that when God invades the house, you don't have to tell anybody. When Jesus walked into the synagogues, the demons began to scream and cry out. God is going to walk into the house with such conviction. I remember the first time in a home prayer group, a Bible study for teenagers when I was a teen, one that I started in my mom's house. And they would go on for hours and hours and hours. And near the end, we were getting ready to break up and leave. And a hundred and something kids were there. And all of a sudden, just began to strum on the guitar and just began to sing in the spirit and people began to sing in the spirit with me, and all of a sudden, it was like the hair on the back of your neck stood up, and you felt like somebody had walked in, but everybody, hundred and something kids hit the floor, like you just dropped a grenade and blew everybody. They hit the floor face down, And they're singing, but they're crying and they're weeping and they're laughing. And there's a holy hush that came in that place. And I remember thinking, I want to, who walked in? It was almost like you heard a door open and close. Who walked in? But I was too scared to look. And I was like, was this this what, what it was like for Isaiah when he said, on the day that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up in his glory, filled the temple. And he became aware of his sin. He became aware of his undoneness. He became aware of all those things. And I'm telling you, there is a move of the Holy Spirit that's getting ready to come. As I've watched on the TV, and I don't watch very much of it because I, I just don't want to give place to a lot of stuff, but I see the anarchy and I see the 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 express. Look, I came up in the 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 uh, the days of of the late 60s and early 70s when there were riots on the campus and street marching and the democratic convention and the national guard brought in and the shootings on campus i was tear gas on berkeley campus i mean i remember those days and i'm seeing it play out all over again but you know what i'm seeing i'm seeing people who are lost who are lost look who have a passion And they're looking for purpose. And the Holy Spirit said, I will move in such a way. And I will capture that passion. And I will capture their hearts. And I will turn them towards me. And you will see an army raised up that will be the church of the last days. Oh, I know some are sitting there going, there ain't no way then your God is too small because my God has promised he's going to shake everything. And you know what's going to be so incredible? Because I've seen this before. They're going to be so impacted by the presence of God and the fear of the Lord and the goodness of God. They're not going to be have to drug to a meeting. And they're not going to be, have to be dragged into anything. They're not going to have to be bribed to attend or anything like that. Nobody's going to have to force them. They will reject anything that is not pleasing to Christ. Jesus is going to come and manifest his presence so powerfully that those people are going to say Jesus appeared to me and I experienced him and he changed my life I declare to you listen to me I'm not prophesying but I'm on the verge of it I declare that we are going to see many strange and wonderful things during this time of shaking The shaking is gonna be of such magnitude, it's going to ignite a reverent holy fear in all who recognize how significant it is. They will cry out and say, Lord, you said the shaking would take place prior to your coming. You must be on the doorstep, the threshold of returning. God, it's time to get busy. I know that's I just gonna hurry, I'm sorry. Second thing is, there's gonna be such a pure and holy awe in worship. I know this is gonna sound strange. How many of you remember in the book of Exodus 33, 34, God brought Moses and them. God had gotten really kind of fed up with the people that he had led out of the wilderness. He had done all these incredible things for them and everything else and in one of the meetings, God tells Moses, He said, You can cross over in the promised land. I'll send angels before you. The, the cities that I promised you will be there. The vill- Everything I promised will be there, but I'm not going with you. How many remember that? And Moses said, No, if your presence doesn't go, I'm not going. Not going. It was after that that God, that Moses, when Moses gets God, he intercedes for God's people. said, we can't go over there without your presence because your presence is the only thing that distinguishes us from all the other people of the earth. And the church has lost that. They've forgotten that. It's the presence of God not just in a meeting, it's the presence of God in our lives every place that we go. So when God says, okay, Moses, I'll go with you, Moses didn't stop there. (laughs) I think Moses was feeling, ooh, I got one. (laughs) I'm gonna push it just a little bit more. How many of you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) You know, it's like you want a negotiation and And there's one more thing I'd like to ask. We know what happened. God, he says, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory, God. Now Moses had been meeting with God and the glory cloud had been coming down. Moses says, I want to see your glory. There's something about you that I haven't seen yet that I don't understand. And I'm, I'm not leaving here, this place, this life. I'm not, you, you've got to be right straight. Put it out there, God. That's basically in my vernacular what he was saying, okay? And, 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 and so what happens? We know the story, I'm gonna read it in just a minute. And God says, well, if you see my glory, you're gonna die. He says, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put you in the cleft of a rock, like a small entrance to a rock, a cave, whatever, and I'm gonna put my hand by it. I think God put his hand like this, so there was just little glimmers. And then God passed by, and the Bible says that God travels at the speed of light, because God is light, and travels 186,000 miles per second. So when God went by, it was, right? I mean, I mean, he's gone. He's gone. But the Bible says that after that, Moses was changed. He beheld the glory of God. And there are theologians who said, Moses was the writer of the first five books of the Bible, but where did he learn about Adam and all? How did he learn? They said, it was in the trail of God's glory going by that history passed before him and he saw it. And he recorded it. And Moses saw the glory of God. Well, I'm here to tell you, there is going to be a revelation of God's glory in the Latter-day Church that's going to put what Moses saw to shame. What Moses saw is going to be gloomy compared to what the Latter-day Church is going to see. remember i shared with you god showed me a wave of glory coming a wave of glory a wave of god's glory is coming what moses experienced when god passing by he received a revelation of god's goodness he understood god's justice god's mercy god's truth It caused him to worship God at a deeper level than ever before. And when God does the same thing in our day, we will see worship go to a level like it's never been done before. I'm just going to say this because I've been around the block more than one time. But in recent years, there's been a tremendous amount of Music and songs that have been written, praise and worship songs that have been released. And yet, I've noticed that many of them are missing something. Many of them are missing this facet of the fear of the Lord. Exodus 15:11 says, "Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and doing wonders?" David shows us clearly that what's been missing is a trembling in the presence of God. Psalms 2 and 11 says this, "Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling." Here's here's that balancing act again. Worship the Lord with reverence, recognizing the awe and the holiness and the justness of who he is, and yet rejoice with trembling and excitement because you serve that God. I have witnessed many times what have been termed joy celebrations where maybe there's banners that are flying and marching and loud and happy singing. And uh, I, I watched a video this past week from a certain church on the West Coast, not gonna name it or anything, but uh, my heart was so grieved when I watched because I saw thousands of young people in this worship team up there and, and, and they were inciting them To basically, you know, the the only way you're going to sense God's presence is if you twirl. And, And I watched as they worked the crowd of thousands of people until the music and the beat of the drum and everything and the lights and the lasers and everything until finally everybody's twirling to get the presence of God. And I said, this is no more than dancing around a golden calf. I said, when the presence of God comes in, I'm not twirling. I'm on my face. Please hear me understand. What I'm saying is that there is a place for celebration. There is a place for jumping and clapping and dancing. But it, it, it is built on the foundation of the glory of his holiness. And when our joy does not spring forth out of repentance, then the gladness and, and, and celebration is artificial. And I don't know if I'm even making any sense. This is burning in my heart. We want the gladness, but we want it without the awe and the fear and the seriousness of who he is. We don't want the revelation of Isaiah that says that woe is me I'm a dead man for I have seen him and all of his glory What happened with Isaiah He said I'm an unclean man with unclean lips living among an unclean people I'm a dead man and when you come to that place and you recognize what happened all of a sudden he was struck with the awe and the reverence and the holiness of who he was God comes with an angel takes a coal off the altar before the throne and puts it on his tongue and in that moment he's changed and what happens next God says who can I send who will go for us and Isaiah who's crying out that he's a dead man one minute is now jumping and he's twirling and he's spinning trying to get God's attention going me, 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 me me, send me (laughs) I'm telling you when when our hearts have been cleansed and our hearts are pure and we've grasped who he is the nature of who he is the incredibleness of who God is, he's not on the throne to serve me I thank God for his blessings. I thank God for his promises. But if I never got a blessing and I never had a promise and I just had him, we sang it earlier, just you Lord and nothing more, it would be enough. I said it'd be enough. And I believe that God promises that what is coming in the fear of the Lord, in the Latter day Church, is a worship that is so pure and so full of Jesus that it will smite and unveil and expose hidden sin. Worship so pure that people fall under conviction. Do you think that's possible? We have a lady that I'm getting in touch with that I just, I just contacted me. I just learned about a week or so ago. She's 70-something years old. She looks like she's in her late 40s to me. She's played before Queen, the Queen of England, the Pope, every major symphony in the world. She's a violinist, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-filled. And when she begins to play, Miracles take place and people get healed. Nobody touching them. Nobody, nothing. The music of heaven comes down. She texted me two days ago. She said, I heard that you might be open to letting me come. I said, Open. Sister, we're going to open. You coming. And I'm telling you, we're going to advertise. I believe miracles will take place. Because, see, when heaven invades, our space and worship. I've seen, I've seen I, I remember the first time I saw this lady, didn't know who she was. I saw her at a, at, at a morceron convention in Jerusalem two years ago and she began to play. Healings began to happen. Just from playing the violin. But what happens, God inhabits that. God comes down in that. When pure worship True, pure worship breaks forth. I'm telling you, miracles are gonna take place. The third thing is the countenance of God is going to exude in the church of the latter day. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, 29 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. I've heard that last part preached. Our God is a consuming fire many times as a a means to making people fearful. But look what it says. That where, because of the grace, because of the goodness, because of who he is, let us be acceptable with reverence and godly fear. Let's worship him. When you're full of Jesus, you automatically become a rebuke and a reproof to anyone who has secret sin in their life. I want to close by reading the scriptures from my Exodus 34. And then we're going to pray and close with a song. I pulled out, I woke up this morning with this, it's straight out of the scripture. I've read it earlier. And I remember when it was, the song was put to words 45 years ago. I said to that boy, I said, boy, I really sound old when I say things like that. But it was in 1975. But look what it says in Exodus 34, 5 through 8. It says, then the Lord descended in the cloud. Lord, descended in the cloud. And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. Watch this. Remember, Moses is in the cleft of the rock. God put his hand so the glory doesn't kill him and it says and the lord passed by and the lord proclaimed and the lord the lord god i mean it sounds almost redundant in other words he's saying i am the lord and not just any lord i am the lord god he said merciful and gracious how many of you glad for his mercy Slow to anger, oh hallelujah (laughs) And abounding in goodness and truth Keeping mercy for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin But who will by no means clear the guilty And look at this next verse And Moses made haste and bowed to the ground and worshipped It was out of the revelation of who God was. The fear of the Lord grips Moses' heart and what's his first inclination? He makes haste and hits the ground and begins to worship God. And out of that experience comes this prayer in the next verse. And I believe that if we will let the fear of the Lord come back into the church, we have a holy awe. I remember not long ago I remember hearing this back in my early days, back in the hippie days, you know and 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 and, and I used to hear people say all the time uh jesus he's my best bud and and god he's my he my he my he's my buddy and he's he's my daddy and you know, I know who my daddy is. He's God, and, and and look, they were just using the slang and terminology of the day. But it bothered me even as a teenager. I said that's irreverent. It, it was just, it was so, it was just, it seemed so shallow and callous. And I heard somebody recently say, "Oh, my daddy, God, he's going to take care of everything I want." I said, that's a sugar daddy. That's not my father in heaven. See, it's a slight mindset shift. When Moses saw God pass by, and Moses saw the nature of God, Moses saw the character of God, it says he made haste to hit the ground in worship. And then he prayed. Once he understood the fear of the Lord, once he understood the reverence and awe of God and yet the goodness of God. See, you got to put them together. Religion so much as the negative, the thou shalt not, God will damn you to hell, all that stuff. Then the modern day gospel is Jesus loves you, he takes you like you are, you don't have to change. But when you grab hold of one and you grab hold of the other, now you've got something that's real. And now you can, when you see that, you can pray in a way. You can worship in a way n- never happened before. And in verse nine, Moses says to God, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, for we are a stiff necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. I don't have time to teach this because it's a separate lesson altogether, but you notice it says iniquity and our sin. Most people think iniquity stands for sin. It's not. Iniquity has a specific meaning, and it means putting your will above God's will. That's why we pray let your kingdom come, your will be done. Iniquity is when I usurp my desire, my will, my all of those things. He says when he said, "Pardon our iniquity, pardon our selfishness, pardon our desire to be God, pardon us for misunderstanding and our and our sin and take us for your inheritance." Wednesday morning, that's what I was praying up here. I was saying, Lord, capture the heart of your church again. Capture the heart of your people once again. That's what Moses prayed. Forgive us and take us for your inheritance. Capture our hearts, Lord God, that we would go after you. I'm telling you, with all assurance, I want you to hear me. If you're watching my way, the internet, if you happen to be sitting in here, I tell you again, the last Day church is coming forth that's gonna be full of the fear of God and it will be the righteous fear of his goodness. We can have confidence that the Bible says we can boldly come before the throne of grace, but we must do so in a manner that's humble and reverent of his holiness and yet with confidence that I have the right to come. It's not an either or. It's, I don't belong, I don't deserve, but I, you've made it possible. God, you're an awesome God. God, I joy in our relationship. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Why is this so important? Because the world's only hope and the, our nation's only hope is Jesus Christ. And the church is the carrier of the message. And if we don't have the fear of the Lord, then the world will never know it. We, the church, must learn once again to walk in the fear of the Lord. And the wave of God's glory that is coming will reveal the goodness and the holiness. God, I want us to pray right now. I want you to take a moment, if you're listening by way of the internet, either live or later on, if you're the few that are sitting in here right now, I want you to take a moment and let God search your heart. Have you truly surrendered everything to God? Or have you used the goodness of God and the love of God and his, his mercy, have you used it as an excuse to continue in your manner and your attitude towards sin? We cannot say, he's a loving God. He knows my heart. God says in the book of Revelations, he said, I know your deeds. And he was writing to the church. We think, well, my heart, I, God knows my heart that I want to do right. Look, you'll never be able to do right. No one will be able to do right until Jesus becomes Lord of your life. And that's a daily walk. That's a daily walk with him. Right now, if you're listening and you're not right with God, I don't know where you stand, on which side, you may be on the side where you fear God and can't believe that he would even have any purpose for you. That's not right. But you may be on the other side thinking, I'm okay. I'm better than everybody else or others. And God seems okay with them. God's blessed me. Do not mistake the blessings of God as approval for the sin in your life. He loves you enough. He's, he's going to be there but the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom it's the wisdom of god it's the wisdom of how to live our daily life and we need that we need it desperately we need it desperately father we come to I come to you today and i just pray for the fear of the lord to come upon your people your church I pray that you restore a holy, awesome respect for who you are, the very nature and character of who you are, but the person of who you are. God, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There is none like unto you in all of the heavens or all the earth. Forgive us, Lord, for we have brought you down to our level. To try and make you our best friend. But God, you've called us to a higher level in relationship with you. Yes, Father, you're my heavenly Father. And yes, your Son Jesus, the Bible says, is my brother in the things of the spiritual realm. And the Holy Spirit indwells in my life, but that does not mean that I am perfect and that I do not sin from time to time. God, that the fear of the Lord would grip us, that when we sin, we cannot, if we're comfortable going throughout the day without repenting, there should be a red flag, a warning sign, something's wrong. God, forgive us. Let your holy fear come back into your church one based upon holiness, one based upon repentance, that our joy may be pure and be satisfying before you, that God, we would not be content to dance around empty idols, but God, we want such a pure heart. We come into your presence and twirl with the gladness of heart that comes in being in right relationship with you. We ask right now, God, forgive us for wrong mindsets. Forgive us for our lifestyles that we've, we've excused for too long. Not out of fear, but out of love for you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want to close out this morning with a song. It comes from the passage that I read earlier that says, Who is like unto you, O God? And I've simply put the music with the words on the screen that you can sing along with us. you this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, that you sought us out. You came after us and God, you came not with condemnation, but you expressed your love towards us by the giving of your son, Jesus. Father, how can we say thank you for such an undeserved love? God, it's following you with all our heart all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. And it's telling others about your goodness and your love. But God, when we tell them about your goodness, let us tell them with the concept and understanding of who you are. You're a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, but that you love us and you're full of mercy and your compassions they fail not. God, let us tell the people about who you are. Let the fear of the Lord become the wisdom and the foundation of the Latter-day Church and let it happen in our time, in our day, God. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, I say God bless you for those who are watching by way of the internet. I pray that you would be encouraged and be lifted up with this message from God's word. In the name of Jesus, go in peace. Amen and amen.